Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. Lord, we thank you for your presence. Thank you that you're with us and that there's a tangible reality to that. Lord, thank you for blessing us already. I ask that you would increase our faith, that you'd give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think I am going to finish um, teaching on the Feast of Tabernacles today. Um, How much like God that it would take something broken to fix something that was broken? Our relationship with with God, our position in the universe as human beings was completely broken. And it took Jesus being broken to fix that. And now to receive the remedy of, of his brokenness, we have to admit our own brokenness. Because there, there is no obtaining the remedy without the recognition and the admission of our own brokenness, of our need for somebody to make things right. And that's, that's how we appropriate what Jesus did for us. And that's, I mean, that, that's just the way it continues. As, as, we, as we grow, and, and we need more grace, how, how do we obtain that grace? By admitting that we need it. Right? <laughs> it's it's so simple. But our, our pride gets in the way and it, it doesn't wanna doesn't wanna admit that. <laughs> so we we end up building religious structures that allow our brokenness to continue and so we can point fingers at other people's brokenness because it's different than ours. And that's that's not where we want to go. That's not where we want to be. 
we, we want to take the position, and this, this is the position of, of God's kingdom, that, that we're all just beggars helping other beggars find bread. That's, that's just the way the kingdom is. Because there's nobody in the kingdom who won't admit that they're a beggar. <laughs> they're the only ones in there. And, and we want to help other people get in the kingdom. Right? Okay. <laughs> to the Feast of Trumpets. I... I probably shared some of this a long time ago when I started teaching on Passover back last March. <clears throat> but I, something happened in, inside of me when I heard a series of messages on the, the prophetic significance of the feasts of the Lord. And it, it did something. I, I think my, my level of faith ramped up uh, like two or three times what, what it had been before. And, and this was, I don't know, this is probably like 20 years ago when the first time I heard any of this. Because I just, I had this realization if... If there is so much depth of, of meaning, of, of truth, of prophecy, foreshadowing what was to come, that, that was written in Deuteronomy and, and Leviticus back a couple thousand years before Christ, I mean, God obviously had, had all this and everything planned out, and he, he was going to bring about the end that he wanted because we're, we are well nigh to the end right now. And, and he had all this written out, uh, and, and no human being could possibly be smart enough to have put all these hidden types and shadows because that's very difficult writing. Okay. To, to write with all kinds of levels of, of meaning and shadowing and prophesying of, of things to come. Uh, you know, for, for Moses, he, he's attributed with writing the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. You know, he, he may have been the most humble man to walk on the earth, and that's what the Bible says. But he wasn't that smart. He wasn't smart enough to do that on his own. God did this. And, and he, he put so much meaning in this, it, it made me look at all of Scripture differently. To... <laughs> 
Somebody's got a call. <laughs> so, anyway, we'll wait till it goes to voicemail. <laughs> it's about to. <laughs> Pretty soon. <laughs> okay, finally, I, I think I did. Um, <clears throat> So for, for these annual celebrations that, that the Lord gave to his people, for, for them to, to not only have meaning for what those people had come out of in, in their past, but to, to speak of very specifically things that Jesus would do and fulfill in his life and death and resurrection. And, and then not only that, but also that, that they would speak to the church some, something that was thousands of years in, in the future. And, and they would speak about what would happen in the church. Uh, that, that was just, it, it made me look at all of Scripture differently, that, that there's, there's so much more here than what I know and, and what I understand. And, and I, I want to dig deeper, and, and I want to understand more of, of what God has put in the Bible. So, back in... March, when I started this series and desired to teach through the meanings of all the feasts for us this year, I'm, I'm actually going to make it through because I think this will be the last one. It's, this is the, the last part of the last feast that actually took place back in September, uh, but we're, we're going to talk about it today. So we've, we've been through Passover, that three-part feast. Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. We've, we've been through Pentecost. And we've been through the, the first two parts. Is this still loud enough? Okay. <laughs> it got quieter for me. I didn't know if it did for you. So we, we went through the day of the blowing of trumpets, the first part of this last feast, and two weeks ago we, we went through the day of atonement, the second part of this three-part feast. And now we're on to uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, which is what this whole three-part feast is generally referred to as. So uh, we, we want to look at what this looked like for the children of Israel when they celebrated it. And then really what, what I want to get into is what, what this feast means for us as, as the people of God uh, in a time when we are approaching the end of days. What, what does this particular feast speak of to the church in, in the day in which we live. 
And it, it speaks loudly and richly to us. Uh, because I, I think it's the response of, of us as the church to the trumpet and, and to the meaning of, of this part of the Feast of Tabernacles that, that will determine, I think, when Jesus returns. Uh, because Jesus is, is not going to come back for a, a bride who has not made herself ready. He's, he's coming back for a bride who has made herself ready, we're told in the book of Revelation. And so our admonition in, in this feast, where, where I'm going to end up, I'll, I'll tell you where I'm going to end up, is, is that we, the people of God, we, we are called to pursue God and, and to pursue primarily in, in prayer that the Lord would do what he has said he will do. So, so that, that, that's our part in this, and, and we're, we're going to get to what that looks like and how this feast foreshadows that as, as we go along. So this feast, as I said, it started with the day of the blowing of trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, which is New Year's Day. And that was the day that we had a solemn assembly. Then, that was on the first day. On the tenth day of the seventh month, in the sacred calendar, was the Day of Atonement. So the tenth day of this month. And we, we talked about what that meant and how that spoke of what Jesus would do. So now we're to the Feast of Tabernacles, which takes place from the 15th day of the seventh month to the 22nd day, eight, eight more days. It's also referred to as the Feast of Ingathering, the Solemn Feast, the Feast of the Seventh Month, and the Feast of Booths. And it marks the anniversary of the beginning of the wilderness wanderings of, of the people of Israel. Uh, on the first day of this part of the feast, the people were to take branches of trees and rejoice before the Lord, and they were to build temporary structures, booths, tabernacles, is what that word is translated into in, in English, that they would temporarily live in. They, they were not to live in their normal homes. This, this was a time when all of Israel was called to the city of God, the city of David, to Jerusalem, to celebrate this feast together, and they were to live in these temporary structures. And it, it's sort of commemorated their, their journey from Egypt after uh, the Exodus. 
And so if you were in Jerusalem, you, you would see booths on, on the roofs of houses, in, in courtyards, in gardens, basically any open space, you, yeah, you, you would see uh, booths like that. To get them to think back, again, historically, to what the children of Israel went through, after they left Egypt, but this is speaking forward to us as well. Because we, as, as the people of God, we, we are to live in, in the understanding that this world is not our home. <laughs> it reminds me of an old Larry Norman song from the 1970s, some of you uh, who liked early Christian rock probably remember Larry Norman, but he, he had this song, Only Visiting This Planet. And, and that, that song was, was exactly the message of, of this part of the feast. That, you know, we're, we're only here for a brief time and then we get to go home. And, and we know that Jesus promised his disciples that he was going somewhere else to prepare a place for them. And he, he said, I would not even go if I was not going to prepare a place for you. But since I am going, you know that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And we know that that place, which is the fulfillment of God's kingdom, is, is going to be way better than the place where we are now. So part of the message of this feast to us is, is that we, we cannot allow our affections, our emotions, to be tied too deeply to this world and the things of this world or it will distract us too much from the work of God's kingdom that he has for us now. In, instead, we, we are to remember that we're only visiting this planet, that we're already seated in heavenly places with Christ as those who are in Christ, and, and that is our home. So... Uh, going on to what the celebration looked like for them. Uh, as with Passover and Pentecost, there, there were numerous special offerings, special sacrifices that took place in the eight days of this part of the feast. And, and there's just one part in particular that, that I want to mention, and it was the sacrifice of 70 bulls uh, special sacrifice over the seven days before the last day. And the understanding of the Jewish people of those 70 bulls was that they were for the 70 nations that they understood to exist on the earth other than Israel at that time. So it was speaking 
they even had a, a prophetic understanding of, of this feast that, that it spoke of something much bigger than just them. And the number seven is, is important. When, when you study this feast, you see the number seven, the number eight, the number ten quite a bit. And seven is, is the number of completion. Eight is the number of new beginnings. And, and we have that in, in this feast because the, the first seven days are, are essentially one segment and then the eighth day is, is another segment of, of the feast because it has, it has a different emphasis. The, the eighth day was essentially speaking of the, the new beginning for, for this new year. And, and how because of the atonement that had taken place, now they, they essentially had a new beginning as, as a nation. But it, but it even, this, this feast even speaks more to, to the, the end, to the fulfillment of, of creation. Because we, we understand that a day is as a thousand years to the Lord. And, and there, there was, a, uh, there was a, a prophetic meaning to the whole story of Genesis. The, the creation story that took place in six days and then the Lord rested. And for, for those of us who, who have a young earth view, and, and I, I really see that as, as the biblical view of, of the history of the earth, um, and, and those of us who, who have a, uh, uh, a strong view of creation as, as it was presented in Genesis, uh, it, it speaks of the possibility of 6,000 years for human history, and then a new day, the seventh day, uh, being the millennium. And, and that is when Jesus comes to set up his kingdom on the earth with those who have followed him faithfully. And if, if you take a, a young earth view and, and use the Bible as uh, a way of gauging time, which, which can be done pretty accurately, uh, we, we are, are really just entering the seventh day. We're, we're entering, just entering the, the seventh thousand years, the, the seventh day. And, and this, this feast really speaks to, to that, to, to the end of, of the six days 
of, of human history and, and how that is, is going to transition in, into the new day, the, the millennium. So, uh, this, this is exciting to me. <laughs> now, when, when we look at the promises of God to his people, I'm, I'm going to take us back to Deuteronomy 11, just a little bit here, because we, we've spent a fair amount of time in Deuteronomy 10 and 11 recently looking at um, how that speaks to the kind of church that God wanted. And it, it also speaks of the rains that come as a blessing to God's obedient people. It's, it's like uh, our, our obedience opens the gate to the blessing of God to come forth. And, and this is what is, is being shown in Deuteronomy 11. So let's, let's just look at that. The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It is a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. So if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and oil, and I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. So the Lord promised autumn and spring rains for the full harvest of grain, new wine, and oil. So we, if you remember, Pentecost was, was a harvest feast, but it was the early harvest. Tabernacles is also a harvest feast because of the time of year it is, it's, it's fall, it is celebrating the fullness the, the completion of the harvest. So it's, it's the celebration where the people of God give thanks to the Lord and rejoice for all of his provision. And, and for the obedient people, the Lord promised the autumn rains and the spring rains because between Pentecost and tabernacles, there, there was generally a dry period. Uh, it was a dry three-month period. 
between the time of Pentecost and, and the time of Tabernacles. And if the rains came before the Feast of Tabernacles, then the harvest of fruit in the last part of the grain harvest would be full and, and they would be rejoicing for all the blessings of the Lord. So, so that, that was the fulfillment of, of the people of Israel. So what, what does that speak to for us as the people of God a few thousand years later? Well, look at the book of Joel and, and we'll, we'll see a little bit more. So Joel 2, starting in, in verse 21. <laughs> be not afraid, O land. Be glad and rejoice. Those are happy sounds. <laughs> be happy and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Be not afraid, O wild animals, for the open pastures are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and vine yield their riches. Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains, as before. And if, if you're reading this in King James or New King James, it would say, in the first month. And that's, that's, a, that's a key interpretation there. The, the threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locust and the young locust and the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. And never again will my people be shamed. So what is Joel speaking of here? He, he is speaking of the future. Uh, he's, he's speaking of a time when Israel will no longer ever be put to shame. So this, this is a time that's, that's very near the end of the age. And for the autumn rains and the spring rains to both come in, in the first month, it, it speaks of a double portion of rain that is going to be poured out as, as we approach the end of days to which Joel is, is speaking. Because right after the verse where I stopped here, if, if we continue on, we, we pick up with the passage that most of us are familiar with in the book of Joel. So, so right after verse 27 comes verse 28, and it says, And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. 
Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance or salvation, as the Lord has said among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So when, when we look at what this feast speaks of to, to the church, we, we understand that, that there is an early reign in, in Pentecost. And that is what we see in the book of Acts chapter 2. That, that was the fulfillment of the Feast of Pentecost. That was the spring rain. And, and what Tabernacles speaks of is the latter rain that is coming upon the church as we approach the end of days and, and there's, there's going to be a double portion. There's, there's going to be the early and the latter rains coming at the same time. And, and, and we, we are in those days. And, and, and those days are, are not short. Okay? Now, when, when we look at church history, uh, if, if we're careful, you, you can see that there were portions of the church that continued to believe in, continued to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit from the first century until now. But for the most part, from about the second century until the early part of the 20th century, you had to look kind of hard to find those places and those people. Because a lot of the church, there, there wasn't power, there wasn't signs and wonders, there, there was a form of godliness that lacked the power of God. But in the early part of the 20th century, there was the Azusa Street Revival that was, has been hugely significant to the proliferation of God's kingdom on the earth. Uh, you know, we, we as, as a people, as a church, most of us are, are not from Pentecostal backgrounds. Uh, you know, I, I come from a very non-Pentecostal background until I was about, oh, I think, eight or nine. And, and then I, my mom took me into an Assemblies of God church, so I have some Pentecostal background. But if, if you talk to missionaries, 
who, who have been missionaries during the 20th century, especially during the second half of, of the 20th century, uh, there, there has been an explosion of church planting of missions in the earth be, because of the Pentecostal denominations. Uh, they, I, I mean, they, they took everything that had been done before and multiplied it by about 10. It, it, it was that big of a difference because they, they took the power of the Holy Spirit with them out to the mission field. And, and when they encountered the demonic, they, they had at least a belief that it existed. And, and they, they had at least some idea of, of how to deal with it. Because in most of the world, that stuff is not hidden like they try to do in America. It's not that they're here. It's just that they like to stay under the surface so that nobody really thinks that they're here. And until things get really bad, and then we realize, oh, they've been here all, all along. But what, what I'm saying is, since Azusa Street, and, and that was really the beginning of Pentecostalism, there, there have been outpourings of, of the Holy Spirit. There, there was the charismatic renewal that hit so many traditional churches in, in the 1960s and 1970s. And, you know, that, that hit the church that I was in as, as a kid, a Reformed church. And people didn't know what to do with that. So my understanding is they said, you people, go somewhere where that's normal. Because that's not normal here. And that's what happened. But there, there have been numerous outpourings, not just here in America, but throughout the world. And even the Jesus People movement that I, I sometimes talk about that, that happened in, in the late 60s through the early 70s, that was a worldwide phenomena. It, it wasn't just hippies in California who were coming to the Lord. It, it was young people all over the world. And I didn't even realize how much that was the truth and, until recently in, in some reading that, that I've been doing. But yeah, Australia, New Zealand, it was huge. And, you know, the, the church had a really wrong response to that. And, and we need to learn from, from the wrong response that, that the church had in, in the 1970s. Because these, these young people with their bell-bottom jeans, their, their long hair, and their electric guitars came into the church that was basically suits, organs, and pianos, and the people in the church didn't know what to do. Because they, they had this mindset that if you're a Christian, you've you got to look like me. Because I'm a Christian. And, and I have a suit and tie on and shiny 
shoes and and I sing with a organ and I sing these hymns that were written a few hundred years ago and that's how we know that they're good because they've stood the test of time and you, you can't come in here with new instruments and new songs and new language and new dress and all this and expect me to think that's Christian but the thing is God thought it was Christian and so when, when the outpouring that, that is to come hits we have got to be fluid. Uh, I, I heard there's, there's a saying in, in the army these days. I hope I can remember it because if I get it wrong, you might have to correct me, Luke. Uh, that that we, we have to be fluid because being flexible is not enough anymore. We, we got to, have you heard that, something like that? Okay. Well, when, when the outpouring of God hits, that's how we're going to have to be. We're going to have to be fluid because being flexible isn't going to be enough. And what, what this feast speaks of in, in terms of the harvest is what Jesus talked about. Jesus said the harvest is the end of the age. And, and this feast speaks of a huge double portion kind of harvest at, at the end of the age for the church. And, and it's, it's not talking about grain and fruit and agricultural products it's it's talking about people coming into the kingdom as we approach the end of days and and there in order for that to happen there's there's gonna have to be a great outpouring a, a double portion outpouring so that signs and wonders they're, they're not just going to be performed by a few people on a stage. They're, they're going to be performed by everybody in the church. Because it, the outpouring is, is going to hit everybody. And, and we're all going to have to learn how to operate in that power. But what, what I'm seeing as, as I study this is that there's a responsibility for the people of God to cry out for this to happen. Because there, there are things that God does sovereignly and, and he's going to do them. Like Jesus coming and fulfilling all the feasts. That was his act of, of sovereignty. But there are a lot of things that God will not do unless his people cry out for him to do it. And so I want to share a couple passages with you. 
because this, this is the time to seek the Lord. This, this is the time. And, and, and for, for us right here in, in America right now, we, we've got a lot of good reasons to really seek the Lord right now. We, we need to seek the Lord for Him to turn our nation and, and save our nation. Because if, if, if we don't turn, if, if we continue very much further on the road that we're on, uh, his, his judgment is, is going to come. Because He hasn't changed. And, and the way that He treats nations hasn't changed. And if it was good enough for the Amorites a few thousand years ago, it's, it's good enough for America in the 21st century. But we also, because we understand the time that we're in, see, we, the church has, has had, uh, <clears throat> has been through the, the dry months between Pentecost and Tabernacles. And because of what has been happening in the 20th century and continuing in, into the 21st century in terms of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We, we have, we've got to be in those days of tabernacles in church history. So we, we've got to cry out for the double portion because what, what we have received so far is, is just the, the blessing of the Lord. When, when he pours out the double portion, we, we don't even know what that's going to look like. And I, I want to be here. I want to experience it. I, I want to receive it. I want to walk in, in those days. So we, we've got to cry out for that. For ourselves and, and for the church in, in the earth. So that the great harvest can come forth... And, and I really believe that there's a, there's a connection between uh, the, the prayer movement that, that we have seen rise up in, in the world in the last 20 years and, and the outpouring that we're waiting for. Because the focus of much of the prayer movement, the 24-7 the prayer centers that, uh, that have sprung up all over the world in, in the last 20 years, and hardly anybody had ever even heard of one until the last 20 years. But there's, there's a, a connection between that prayer movement, the outpouring, and the bride making herself ready. And, and I, I don't pretend to understand how all that is, is going to fit together. But I, I believe it's going to take the double portion outpouring on the church for the bride to make herself ready. But I also believe that we're, we're not going to see it or receive it unless we're in a place of crying out for it. And, and I, I believe 
that, that when the, the outpouring comes, it's, it's going to start like rain. And, you know, a, a drop here and a drop here and a drop there. And just like, like how when a, a raindrop hits you and it's just starting to rain and nothing's wet yet and you, you feel a drop on your head and that's how you know it's starting to rain. And I, I think those people, those places that are crying out with, with intensity are, are going to be those first drops where the double portion rain starts to come. And then in, in a while, it's, it's going to be a deluge like the days of Noah. And, and you won't be able to get out of it. You, you, you'll, you're going to get wet. But I want to be a place where the rain starts. So, so we've got to position ourselves to, to be a people who, who not only cry out individually in, in our own place of prayer, but a people who cry out corporately together. And, and, and the Lord is beginning to bring forth that cry. So, you know, that's... That's really, um, oh, I didn't uh, share with you the, those couple of scriptures yet. Zechariah 10, verse 1. Ask the Lord for rain in the springtime. It is the Lord who makes the storm clouds. He gives showers of rain to men and plants of the field to everyone. And Hosea 6, verse 3, let us acknowledge the Lord, let us pursue to know him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Is the, the last part of what this feast speaks to is, is the return of Jesus. And, and that, I mean, that's the most awesome part of the whole thing. But the thing is, we're, we're not going to get there un, until we come through what I've been talking about. The, the double portion of rain and the outpouring of the Spirit and the great end-time harvest. Now, I, uh, let's close by, with, with an account of Jesus during the Feast of Tabernacles in John chapter 7, because I, I think this is significant, what Jesus said here in John 7, starting in, in verse 37. Now, on the last day, the great day, of the feast, which would have been the eighth day, 
uh, of the Feast of Tabernacles, the, the 22nd of the month. Uh, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Some of the multitude, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, This certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, This is the Christ. Still others were saying, Surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there arose a division in the multitude because of him. And, and we know that when the kingdom comes, it, it's like a sword. There's There's division. Because when, when the kingdom comes in power, you're either in or you're out. Uh, there, there's no maybe. <laughs> there, there's no sitting on the fence. You're, you're either with the kingdom or you're outside the kingdom. And, and that's part of what Jesus was showing here. Was, he was illustrating with, with reality what was going to happen in, in the time of the true Feast of Tabernacles. There, there's going to be a division. But he also is, is giving us a clue. If, if you want to be, if you want to have rivers of living water flowing from your innermost being, what do you have to be? Thirsty. You, Psalm says that to the thirsty the Lord gives drink, and to the hungry he, he gives food. If, if, if we're just satisfied with, with our, our life, and, and we're, we're satisfied with where we are in the kingdom, and we're, we're satisfied with where the church is in, in our day, are we going to get there? No, because we're not thirsty. We're not hungry. And it's, it's to... See, this, this is really part of what I was sharing last week about being confronted by the Lord about where we are, where, where the church is, where, uh, where I am, where, where we are. It's this. this. This is the solution. It's, it's seeking the Lord. It's being hungry and thirsty. Because he, he has never given his best stuff just randomly. He, he is not random. Uh, 
Think of the Syrophoenician woman and his disciples being kind of embarrassed when she asked for her son to be healed and the, the Lord says something like, should we give the children's food to dogs? And, and the, <laughs> I think the disciples, I can see John stepping on Peter's foot. <laughs> Did you hear that? <laughs> can you believe he said that? But she pressed in. And she had the right answer. She said, yeah, well, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall off the table. And Jesus said, okay. If that's how bad you want it, then here it is. And, and so for us, we, we can't just live our lives like normal anymore. There's, there's a call, there's an opportunity that God wants to do something bigger and greater. And, and we need him to. If, if ever in my life we have needed God to do something extraordinary, this is the time. So... Let's cry out to him. And, and so, I, I just want to wait on the Lord a little bit. And, and I, I want us to, to be what Jesus said the church was supposed to be. A house of prayer for all nations. And you, you can be dismissed Whenever you want to go, I, I really don't know how long the Lord wants us to pray, but I believe he wants us to pray right now. So if the Lord puts something on your heart to pray, then I, I want you to come up and pray. And no stories, I want prayers. And I'll start. Father in heaven, holy is your name. We are grateful to be called your people. And we are extraordinarily in need of you in our nation right now. And we, individually and corporately, we, we confess our extraordinary need for you to, to do a, a work of heaven in, in our hearts. Lord, I, I ask that you would, by your grace, give us hunger and thirst 
for you and for your kingdom, to, to see your kingdom come forth, to, to know you as we have not known you, to know you as the people that Daniel talked about who, who know their God and do exploits. God, that's, that's what we need. So Lord, share your heart with us so we can pray in agreement with heaven right now. See, this, this is the feast that the church has yet to fully enter into. And the church's lack of fully entering into this feast has left it barren and dry and, and lifeless very much. And so we, we need to enter into this feast, and we enter into this feast by seeking, by pursuing like Hosea said, let us acknowledge the Lord, let us pursue to know him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth.